All right, <clears throat> I'm going to start off with a story. Um, so a number of years ago, me and some friends were in my backyard, and we had like a little fire going. And, you know, like all good young college guys, the lighter fluid I was using uh, was gasoline. And so I was using like one of those red cans, and I was just kind of pouring it on the fire as we needed for lighter fluid. And so what I began to find out is gasoline is very flammable, okay? And so uh, at one point, you know, because first I just put it on before we lit anything. And then at one point, I kind of held the gasoline can over the fire and kind of dripped it out, okay? Now that's where I went wrong. I should have just went and moved away. But I was kind of doing like, right? And so this is what happened. There was like a drop here of gasoline and then a drop here. And I saw the fire catch that drop, jump to that drop, jump to the gasoline can. And I said, this is how I die. And so, <laughs> and so instantly I just went whoop and threw that thing far, just like across my backyard as far as I could. And what it turned into was like a, a flamethrower. Like it was just like... And I'm like, oh, this is bad. And then the grass all around just being singed. And I was like, this is terrible. And we're all terrified because we've seen Mythbusters and we just think everything's going to blow up. And so we're getting scared. And there's a group of us there. And we don't know what to do. Someone brings baking soda out of the house and throws it on it. Doesn't even, I think it makes it worse, actually. I'm like, that was a bad idea. And so finally, we're like, what do we got to do? We got to put this out somehow. We got to figure this out. Finally, my friend, Jeff, and I text him to see if this is really what he did, if I was remembering it correctly, and it is. He just walks up to it. He picks it up, and mind you, it's going like crazy. Like, like it, it was crazy. He just picks it up and goes and blows it out. And I was like, you are a man. Like, I am not. I was like crying over here. Like, I'm going to burn the house down. And, and I was like, you are a man. Okay, and so today we're going to see that Jesus is the man. Like, we really are going to see that, all right? We're going to see that Jesus is the man. Because, but in Jesus' case, it means more for us than it does in Jeff's case. Like, Jeff it just means he's a really cool guy, and I guess he has a great lung capacity. But in Jesus' case, it means so much more for us. It means that he is king. So, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Let's get into it. It's my child. Shh. <laughs> she probably hears my voice and is like, where is he? I just want him to hold me. All right, verse 12. So let's do a little recap of Mark first. Um, so, so far in Mark, Jesus is basically, we've, we've got this picture of this guy, John the Baptist, hairy dude, eats locusts, honey, just whatever he finds. And he's hanging around, he's baptizing people, and he's telling them to repent. And eventually his relative of some sort, who is Jesus, comes on the scene, and he baptizes Jesus, and Jesus comes out of the water, and, God, and, and says uh, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God the Father says, this is my son, whom, whom I am well pleased and so, Jesus, and so God is pleased in his son, and that's where we left off. And so this is what happens next, verse 12. The spirit 
immediately, I'm going to stop there for a second. Now, what you'll notice in Mark as we're going through Mark, Mark is fast-paced. It's probably the, mo- the, the most fast-paced of the four Gospels. It just is going boom, boom, boom. You'll see immediately a lot. So the Spirit immediately drove him out, that's Jesus, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And so, right, Jesus gets up out of the water, he just got baptized, and immediately the Holy Spirit, probably the dove, whatever, it drives Jesus out into the wilderness. And as a sidebar, we kind of see, this kind of happens in our walk with God sometimes. Like, sometimes right when we become a Christian, right when we realize that Jesus is the way, God tends to take us through some hard stuff, or, may, or, or leads us into the wilderness where, where some hard things happen. And so be prepared for that, especially if you were baptized last week. Be prepared that, 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 that there is an enemy that, that may attack you. And so Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and led by the Holy Spirit, and, and Satan is there. Okay, Satan, the devil, he is there, and he's tempting Jesus. And he's doing a few different things, and, he, and he's trying to get Jesus to sin. He's basically trying to get Jesus to do what he wants him to do. I, I think he, like, wants to get Jesus in check. And so he, he, he's throwing everything at him. And it says that Jesus was in the wilderness and there was animals there. And what's funny is I, I was reading commentaries this week and they're trying to liken the wilderness to stuff and the animals. And they're like, what do the animals represent? And I, I, what I think they represent is animals. Like I think there was animals in the wilderness, right? That's what I think Jesus was just like, no, there was animals. Like it was crazy. Like, and so like, and I actually looked it up. I looked up what kind of animals were in Israel around this time. And there was cheetahs, straight up, lions, bears, these crazy looking deer things, and wild dogs possibly. And so Jesus is strolling, strolling around fasting. And if, uh, it's already annoying that this Satan guy is trying to convince him to sin. But then there's cheetahs around. And so sometimes we get this picture of Jesus as like burping rainbows Jesus, right? But this is like, no, Jesus is like sleeping next to cheetahs, Jesus, right? And so Jesus is the man. And so he's out in the wilderness, and the angels, they've got him covered. Now, we're not going to go... We're not going to go into the specifics of the temptation today. You can find those specifics in Luke 4 and Matthew chapter 4, right at the beginning of those chapters. And I encourage you guys this week in your devotions, look a little bit more, more closely at those uh, temptations. Maybe even in a scripture study hall, take some time to look at those as well in the next week or two. So we're not going to look at the specifics of the temptation, but we are going to see why is the temptation si- significant. Why is Jesus conquering the temptation significant for us? Now, here's why I think. I think it's because of this. So, so Satan has had, had kind of a field day the last four, four, few thousand years or whatever that he's been on the earth, right? He starts off, basically hits a home run in the garden, right, in his mind. He's like, okay, I got to get these humans to sin. Well, that was easy. And, and, and then... And then so humankind now has sin. He feels pretty good as God's enemy. He's like, this is going great for me. And he goes and he constantly looks at the people of God, the, the Israelites, and he, I think he constantly convinces them to sin and serve other gods. And so he's like, I am killing it. Like he's just, he's just 
thinks that. And then what's worse is eventually Israel starts having these kings and these kings are really supposed to bring Israel back to God. And these kings are really supposed to point people to, to, to the coming and, and better king, Jesus. And yet, oh, it seems like every single king, whether it's at the beginning of his life, near the end of his life, he just messes up and he just sins greatly. And so I think Satan is, is kind of roaming the earth at this time, and he has this self-proclaimed rule over the earth. Like, he's going around, he's like, I'm the guy. Like, I, I am the true ruler of this earth. And that, this is Satan's words, and, he, and, and he's going around like, I've convinced the Israelites to sin time and time again. I've convinced the Israelite, Israelites to dethrone the God of the universe and put other gods before him. And so I think the Spirit sends Jesus into the desert to defeat Satan. Because Jesus in the desert, and Satan's like, okay, maybe I can get this guy. Which is just like, Satan, you are stupid. And the Son of God, and Satan tempts him in all sorts of ways. And Jesus is fasting. He's not eating. Cheetahs are chasing him. And he still resists everything that Satan throws at him. And so the temptation is significant for us because Jesus shows us that he's the true and better king. He is the true and better king that, that none of the Israelite kings could ever be. That he is the true and greater king for us because he, he can defeat evil. He can defeat Satan. And so that, that is why it's significant. And Jesus wouldn't be able to do what he's about to do in verses 14 and 15 if he didn't um, defeat Satan in the desert, I think. So let's go to verse 14. So it says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so Jesus, after he's been tempted for these 40 days in the desert and he leaves, he goes into this small fisherman's town, Galilee, and he starts proclaiming the gospel. Now that word gospel there, we've talked about it a lot, means good news. But there's a little bit more depth to this word gospel. This word gospel is the same word that was used back then when kings would conquer an area, they would defeat the former rulers, and then they would send in people issuing the gospel, which is what the kings thought was good news, saying, hey, I'm the king now. Hey, I'm the, I'm the guy. I'm the king. I just took over. I just defeated your king. And so I think the Bible is very intentional using this word, especially right here and right now, because I think Jesus is going in here, and as he's preaching the gospel, he's saying, I'm the king. I'm the guy. I'm the one that, that Israel has been prophesying about for hundreds of years now, thousands of years now. I, I, I'm the king. I'm the one, I just defeated the enemy in the desert. It was no problem. I'm the guy. And that's good news for us. And so Jesus is bringing about this good news because he has the authority to do it. And so as he's rolling out the gospel, as he's telling people that he's the king, he's the one that's going to save us from our sin and from evil, he has... His first two messages are this. In verse 15, we see that he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, repent and believe. Those are kind of together. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and repent 
and believe. And we're going to talk about both of those. And so Jesus comes into Galilee and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he's basically saying is the, the kingdom of God is here. My kingdom is rolling out now. It's within reach. It's within grasp. It is here with me because I am the king. Really, only the king can roll out the kingdom of heaven. Only the king can do that. And so he says, come on, it is here. It is here, people of Israel. This kingdom that you guys have, have wanted and yearned for, it is here. You got to imagine what the people of Israel were thinking as he was saying these things. First of all, it's just some random guy to them. Right, they're just fishing in Galilee or whatever they do in Galilee, Galilee and whatever. And this guy comes in looking pretty skinny, jumpy around dogs. And, and he just starts going, hey, I'm the king. Yeah. And it, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. You got to imagine that they're like, uh, yeah, what? really? What's your name, man? Crazy Bill? Is that, are you crazy, Bill? And just, and just like, you, you don't, and he's like, no, I'm Jesus, I'm the king, I'm the Messiah. Like, this had to look crazy to the Israelites. Like, a lot of times we, we read the Bible and we go, oh, those, those dumb Israelites or those dumb whatever, like, I would have totally known it was Jesus. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have. You would have been like, that guy is really skinny and hairy. Like, I don't know who, what this guy is about. And so it's kind of interesting, it's kind of unique that, that this is how God decided to bring in his kingdom through, through strange circumstances. And so G- Jesus is going around and he's saying, God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is here, just, just reach out. It is at hand. It's within grasp. And then he has a command for us. He has his, like his first edict. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. He said, repent and believe that I'm the good news, that I'm the king. Repent and believe that I'm God and I'm going to fix this all. And so although the gospel can be summed up simply sometimes, I think the gospel has a lot of depth. And we we begin in this first part of Mark right here, begin to see where the gospel has some depth, where, where it's, it's more than just the facts. And so, so Jesus is saying, repent and believe. And I think if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we, if we really consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we have to know what this means, right? When I was a kid, so I grew up in the church, and so I heard a lot of this stuff all the time. When I was a kid, this is what I, I thought repenting was, was basically just saying sorry to God. And so I, I actually got confused sometimes, too, because I thought I had to repent all the time. Like, I was a little bit worried. Like, I remember, I remember walking home from school and be like, what if I just cussed right now and then a car hit me? Would I go to hell? Like, I'm like I don't know. And then I would ask my dad, and he'd be like, I, maybe. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's not cool. And... But that, that's, not, that's not repentance. And, and, and kind of what I was thinking about a kid, as a kid was confession, which we do here on Sundays. And it's a good thing and it's biblical. But repentance is more than just saying sorry. Okay? Repentance is more than just saying sorry. Okay? I've heard it. I, I've seen it like this. Repentance 
is, is kind of like this. You are going one direction. You're going one direction, not the band. And you are facing sin. You're facing sin or you're even facing good things that you're putting in the place of God. And repentance is saying, I need to turn from that and turn towards God. That's repentance. And so although confession is good, confession is saying, God, I'm sorry for sinning. Repentance is actually looking at your sin, realizing that you're sinning and saying, I need to turn from that and go this direction and face God. That's repentance. Sometimes we we just get stuck in things and we just say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. And we can't understand why we keep falling in these sins over and over and over again. And what I want to contend is that, that we're not repenting, that we're, that we're just saying sorry, that we're just saying sorry, which is good, but it's not repentance. The command to repent and believe work together because when we, when we turn away, we should be turning towards Jesus. And so what, what do we need to repent from? I think just... Sin in general, right? This is, this is hard for us. We don't like talking about sin as people. We don't like admitting we sin. But the Bible's pretty clear about what sin is. And Jesus is saying, repent from that. Repent from, from all of those things, right? I, I hang out with people all the time and, I talk, and we talk about sin all the time. And almost always people kind of say, well, I sinned because of this. I sinned because of this situation. I even do that. But that's not repentance. You need to reject all that in you. And you need to turn fully to Jesus and believe that he is what is for you, that he is enough. Because often, often we, we, when we're sinning, we're, we're, we're really looking for something that only God can offer. Right? When we're sinning, if we're whatever it is, there's all sorts of reasons why we sin. But a lot of times we're, we're just looking for something that only God can offer. And so that's why Jesus says repent and believe because he's saying, no, turn from that and believe that I have saved you. Believe that I am enough for you. Believe that I am truly king over your life. Not those things. Believe that I am Lord over all is what Jesus is saying. Whether or not we're, we're Christians or, or we are Christians, I think repenting and believing is good for us. Because first, to repent and believe is to turn away from all these false momentary things and turn to the one true eternal being of the universe that created you. That he's made you to have a relationship with him. He's made you to, to be in communion with him. But then I think also as Christians, we need to to continuously repent and believe as well. Because a lot of times, and if we're honest, when we're Christians, we become Christians and we're really excited about Jesus and we're really excited about the gospel and we're, we're really excited about grace. But then as years go on and on, as we follow Jesus, we're less excited. And we, we begin to ask ourselves, why am I not as excited as I once was? And you try to muster up some willpower and be like, oh, I really love God. And you're like, oh, that didn't really work. And I think it's because we're not repenting and believing. I think it's because we, this is usually how uh, sin goes for us, I think. We'll we'll see, and and as Christians, we do become pretty good at knowing what sin is. And we see something that's a sin, 
And rather than repent and turn all the way to Jesus and say, I need you, we, 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 we say, God, I'm sorry. And then we kind of turn like a little bit that way. And, and, and we put our hope in our willpower. Like we go, okay, God, I'm sorry. And I'm just going to try really hard not to do this anymore. God, I'm sorry. And I just, I'm going to avoid this thing at all costs. I'm just going to make sure it's not in my life. And now some of that is good. But when we do that, what I think we're doing is we're really turning and we're making our willpower the king of our lives. Because repentance, we should really see sin and say, okay, that's sin, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to turn to you. I need to turn to you and see you. I need to trust that you have conquered sin in my life, that you have made me a new creation. This is what it looks like for me. I, it's like a lot of times I sin and I get stuck in this rut of, man, I'm really sorry, God. I'll try not to do that again. Man, I'm really sorry. And I'm not repenting. And so there's moments, especially like one thing that I, I really struggle with is, is control over situations. I become very, like all of a sudden when a situation isn't going the way that I would control it, and it could be people's actions, it could be uh, even how a party is going, whatever is happening, there's some, like sin begins to just come out of me, right? I begin to get angry with people. I begin to, begin to be short with people. I begin to think bad things about people. And what I need to do in those moments is just saying, oh man, I'm such a dirtbag, I need to change. And that's true. I need to say, man, that is sin in my life. That's the sin of wanting control, the sin of wanting to be my own God. I need to turn to God and say, God, you are in control. God, you are God. You are in control. So I, I don't know why I grasp at straws trying to be in control so much. We need to repent and believe in Jesus. We need to repent and believe that Jesus is good enough. This is, this is good news for us. This is why it's good news. This is why it's the gospel. Because Jesus could have rolled in. He could have came to Galilee. And he could have said, hey, I'm the king for reals. I know you don't believe me. But here's a list of things you got to do. Okay, wrote it out. Okay, here you go. Go do it. But really, essentially, all Jesus says is he says, just turn away from sin and believe in me that I'm the conqueror of sin. That's, that's basically nothing we do. This is all we do. Whoop, right? That's all we do. That's why it's good news because Jesus does everything we need to be saved. And as we see Mark roll out, we'll see how intense this is for Jesus. Not only does he conquer Satan in the desert, he, goes, he, he continues to live a perfect life, right? Amidst his people that he loves deeply saying, oh, you're not God. No, nope, you're wrong. Hey, what about this? What if I had seven wives? And just like all these things over and over again, they just keep questioning Jesus. And yet he still lives the perfect life because he's God and he's doing it in our place. And then he, he goes to the cross to which his, that we send him there, but he willingly goes there and he takes on the punishment from our sins. 
right? There was a song, I think, earlier that said, the father turns his face away, right? I was going to sing it, and I was like, oh, I'm a bad singer. Uh, the father turns his face away. In the moment of the cross, Jesus was taking on our sins, so God the father, and I don't know how this works, being with the Trinity and all that stuff, but somehow God the father turned the face away from Jesus while Jesus took on the punishment for our sin. And so Jesus dies, but then he comes back from the dead, and he says, share in this life with me. The kingdom's rolling out. The kingdom is at hand. I have, I have brought it to almost its full fruition. The, all, the, all the actions that need to be done are done. And so Jesus is just saying, repent. Turn from all that stuff that's not very good for you. And turn to me. Turn and believe that Jesus is good enough. That Jesus is everything you need. That Jesus is the conqueror of your sin. That if you want to conquer sin, that actually turning to him in the midst of your sin is better than just turning to your own self. We need to repent and believe. I I, I think this will help us when the gospel becomes stale to us. I think this will help us even if we don't believe the gospel, if you're here and you're not a Christian. I think if you really repented and believed in Jesus, you would begin to realize what you were created for you would begin to see that all these things that you try to use to satisfy your life, and in the end, they're not very satisfying. You're going to see that Jesus is living water, that he is satisfying. Repent and believe. We all need to repent and believe. Will you guys pray with me? God, I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the good news that that you have the authority to usher in. God, I think it's cool that we get to see glimpses of who you are and what you did on earth through this Mark series. I thank you for going out in the desert and, and conquering sand. I thank you for going out or to the cross and conquering Satan and sin with your death. God, I thank you for raising again and just saying, repent and believe and share in this life, share in this resurrected life with me. God, I thank you that, there, that we don't have to follow this list of things to do. We just have to believe in you. We just have to put our hope in you. God, we love you and we thank you. Help us all to see where we need to repent and believe. We just pray all of these things in your mighty holy name, God. Amen. And now, as always, we're going to move into a time of reflection. And just take some time at your seats to silently reflect on on what we learned from God's word today. I want to specifically challenge you guys to think about what do I need to repent from, Christian or not? What do I need to repent from? And if if you're here, just bear with me if you're here and you're not a Christian. And just think, man, what... What, what should I repent from if I was to become a Christian? And kind of go through those ideas and just think about it. And then I'll come back up in a few minutes and, uh, and we'll respond together.